Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and this, just a warning, we're going to be going live stream pretty soon, and once we go live stream, you'll be able to watch it on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, the whole service, the worship and the sermon, and then after that, we'll peel off the sermon and still post that on YouTube and our podcast site and iTunes and Podbean, and it'll be on all the, the sites that it's already on. The sermon will still be there separately. But that means you'll have to wait until Sunday morning to watch it. You can watch it live, or after Sunday morning, you can watch it, uh, the recording. Okay? So just FYI, uh, maybe a couple more weeks we'll be doing it this way, but very soon we're going to be going live stream. So uh, so at least you get to see the whole thing live. And I've been told much funnier in, in person. <laughs> <laughs> Just have a little fun. Anyway, communion preparation today. We're going to be celebrating communion this Sunday. And I know some of you won't be able to make that because of uh, COVID issues or um, not close enough. Anyway, whatever. This is a good time to pause and to get your communion stuff together. Okay, you're back. All right, good, good. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Second Kings 13, and if you have one of our church Bibles, it's page 316, and there's also, um, well, you won't have an insert. If you come to church, you get an insert handed out, and we have it up on the TV screens and everything, too. So anyway, uh, you can also go on YouTube and podcast at any time and get caught up on any of the sermons you missed. But next week, we are going to be starting the book of Acts. We're going to wrap up Elisha today. We're going to start the book of Acts, which is really the perfect fit. My daughter, Megan, encouraged us. Uh, good idea, Megan. But Elisha... Elisha is a type of the apostles. Elisha means my God is salvation. And the apostles were saved through God, through Jesus Christ and God. And it's a picture. They're a type. Elijah is a picture of Jesus. Elisha is a picture of the apostles. The, just as Elisha carried on Elijah's work, the apostles carried on the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's a picture of the apostles and us by extension. Any believer in Jesus Christ, any disciple of Jesus Christ, it's a, a, a picture for us, and, and it's also a great encouragement because the book of Acts is living in the power of the Holy Spirit in a very tough world. You think it's tough now? Well, it is. It's getting tougher by the second. But the, the apostles, what they had to endure and was incredible. They were under the Roman Empire, just as we will be under the revived Roman Empire. They went through persecution just as much of the Christ world is already under persecution for Christians now, and we're going to face it all over the world. It's living in a tough world, but living by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live in victory in Jesus Christ. We can live victorious faith, and that's what it's about. It's going to be a really encouraging, uh, but today we've got to finish up Elisha. It's a historic day. We're finishing up Elisha on a positive note, on a positive note. Last few weeks have been hard, I know. It's all about judgment, the sword of judgment, Hazael, Jehu, Elisha's sword also, judgment, but we end up on a positive note. The title is Windows of Grace, Our Hope in Hopeless Times. Windows of Grace, Our Hope in Hopeless Times, Second Kings 13, 10 to 25. But first, I'm going to start with a farm story. Bob Noble's been wanting me to do some farm stories, and it fit finally today, Bob. Here we go. Uh, the first one, the first story I'm going to tell from the farm is we used to uh, go out and play a lot of very dangerous games. And one of the games we would play, I'll never forget, I invented it. 
uh, so I took, I got a bow and arrow for Christmas and, uh, after the snow melted, I went out and was shooting the bow and at the, the hay bales and targets and all that. And then I was, the kids from the neighborhood were all over and they all thought my bow was cute and I, cool. And so I said, well, let's, I got a new game. Let's play this game. We all went out. I'll never forget. There's a little hay field right next to the barn there. I said, let's, let's go out and I'm going to shoot the arrow up in the air. And then we all scatter and run, and, and whoever it hits closest to, they lose. They're, they're lose. You could really lose this game. And, uh, so, so all the kids, I remember we had like 10, 15 kids there, and, and I shot it up. We all ran, ran, and the arrow went straight up there, kind of, kind of, you don't never knew where it was going to come down. And, it, thankfully, it didn't hit any of us. We're lucky none of us were killed, right? But it didn't hit any of us. And that was the end of, we played that for a little while, got bored, went on to another. Dangerous game. But we're going to see a shooting arrow story here in 2 Kings 13 today that had life and death consequences. Actual life and death consequences. And it has also has a connection for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Elisha and what it has meant to us. Elijah and Elisha, what these stories have meant to us for today. And I just pray as we finish this up that you would finish your work in our hearts and lives from this passage, from this, this, this segment of Scripture in First, Second Kings, you would finish your work, complete your purpose, and prepare us for the book of Acts next week. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are going to see an amazing ending to the story of Elisha. Even though he was called to use the sword, you know, I always love to get out my sword. We saw the sword of Hazael, the sword of Jehu, and then he finishes up with the sword of Elisha. And Elisha wasn't given a physical sword. He was given the word of God, his judgment. Hazael had a physical sword. Jehu had a physical sword. Elisha, we saw, had the sword of the Spirit. He, he spoke the, word, the words of God's judgment. He was the final judgment on Israel. And we saw the parallels for the USA today. We talked about that. He, his, even though he was called to use the sword of the Spirit, his, the word of God, as a sort of judgment, his life story, we're going to see, ends with a message of hope and life. A message of hope and life, which we all need today, right? <laughs> we all need these days, don't we? Even in hopeless times, we can have hope. We can live out hope through God's power and our faith in God. Now, I'm going to say it again. Even in hopeless times, think of what, hap- what we're going to see today. Think of the book of Acts, the apostles, what they went through, and, and the amazing things that God did in and through them. Even in hopeless times, we can have hope and live out that hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of God's power, the, if we, through our faith in God. Through our faith in God. So, let's read the passage here. 2 Kings 13.10 In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, 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 say that ten, uh, say that ten times quickly, Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, ooh, why do they do this, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. Now, here's Jehoash, king of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. Remember the golden calves, north and south Israel. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoash, all 
he did and his achievements, including his war against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehoash rested with his fathers and Jeroboam succeeded him on the throne. Jehoash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now, coming back to his life though. Now, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he had died. And Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will be complete, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha said, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. Remember that, he stopped. The Man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will defeat it only three times. Then we're going to skip down to verse 22. Hazael, king of Aram, oppressed Israel throughout the reign of Jehoaz, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed them concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. This was before they were taken out, right? Hazael, king of Aram, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, succeeded him as king. <laughs> oh, isn't that precious? Uh, Hazael dies, and he names his kid Ben-Hadad. After the king he murdered, obviously a guilty conscience, right? Then, verse 25, then Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazael, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoaz. Three, time, three times Jehoash defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. So Hazael dies, his son is weaker, Ben-Hadad Jr., the, the second is weaker, and that allows Jehoash to defeat him three times, just as Elisha had prophesied, right? So, it's time for Elisha to go home to God. He was very old. He was ancient by this time. He had he had outlived many kings, as we saw many kings. He's probably over a 100 years old at this time. Not sure, but probably at least over a 100 years old. But he still had an important job of mercy to carry out. Even though he was a prophet of doom for Israel at the end. His last prophecy was doom for them. They're done. They're finished. But he still had a very important job to carry out, a job of mercy. But his life and ministry was really all about God's mercy and grace. If you look at the sum total of it, most of his sermons were about God's mercy and grace in times of judgment. Judgment's coming, but yet God's mercy and grace. And uh, I've been accused of the same thing. A little harsh at times, but if you look at my the body of my work, most of it is God's mercy and grace, but we can't avoid the judgment part. So, most of it was was mercy and grace on Elisha's part. His his preaching was mercy and grace in the time in the face of judgment. But yet one more time, one last time, his last words are God's mercy and grace here. Unbelievable. So King jo- Jehoash comes to, I said it right, uh, co- comes to Elisha, and he who's on his deathbed, and he cries. He's weeping over him, elephant tears, crocodile crocodile tears, crocodile tears over him. Do people come to us? in their time of crisis. 
Jehoash is in a, in a crisis, we're going to see. Do they, do they come to us in the time of crisis? Uh, you know, at the softball game, at that baseball game, basketball game, do people come up to us and share their crisis? I know Kim, my wife Kim, people come to all the time. If there's a, a crisis, they just are drawn to her. They know they're going to hear about God's mercy and grace. They're going to get prayers. They're going to get a listening ear. Um, and so that so many people come to her in that crisis. Are we that kind of person that people come to? Even non-believers, especially non-believers, do they come to us in that time of crisis so that we can give, show them the love of Christ and even share with them the gospel, the, the, how to find that same relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, right? So they come to him, but, but we see that Jehoash isn't coming because uh, of any positive spiritual reason, you know, being drawn to God in some way. No, no, no. He's not coming because he's repenting. He's coming because he's desperate. He's desperate, not repentive. It'd be okay if he was desperate and repentant, but no, 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 just desperate. Uh, he knows he's in trouble if Elisha dies. Elisha had already saved many kings' lives and Israel many times over through his prophetic word and, and seeing what the enemy was going to do. And he knew he was going to, he, he was going to lose his good luck charm. He, that's all. He just sees Elisha as his good luck charm, okay? He ignores him until he's in trouble of his own making, just like many of the kings of Israel did with Elijah and Elisha. Ignore him until they're in trouble of their own making, and then they come, and then, then, then they look to him as their good luck charm. There's many people like that today, aren't they? Aren't there? There are many people like that. God is their genie in the bottle. They come to him and they're genie in the bottle when they, when they have a problem, you know, you know, pop in their, their penny prayer and hope for that you know, that gumball answer, right? And, and that genie in the bottle. And, and I have people that, in our church, well, you know who you are. Anyway, I have people in our church, they only call me when they're in trouble. They only show up when, when there's a crisis. You know, when there's a crisis in their life, then all of a sudden they're in church. Then all of a sudden they're calling me. Uh, they don't have any time for me till then, right? They're not interested, and this is the sad part, they're not interested in a real relationship with God. They're not interested in a real relationship. They're not interested in a life change. I'm not even sure if they're really Christians. Most of them, I would say, not a fat chance they're even really a Christian. They don't, they're not interested in that relationship. They're not interested in sanctification. They just want to get out of trouble, the trouble they're in, usually of their own making, or, or a crisis of some kind. But the sad part is they never experience that relationship with God. They never experienced that deep relationship. They never experienced God's transforming power. They never experienced full victory in their life, or any victory, some of them. They never experienced God's purpose for their lives. And what, let's look at Jehoash here. I'm just going to read it again. Verses 15 to 19, where it says, Elisha said, get a bow and, t and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and Stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would, would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three 
times. God, talking about people who only come to God when they're in crisis and don't really want to see a change, Jehoash is a perfect picture of that. God wanted to give him total victory, but he never experienced that total victory. His lack of faith and sin blocked him from fully experiencing God's promises. This is what blocked it. Elisha places his hands on his hands and he tells him to shoot the arrow, which he does to the east, you know, Aaron, where Aaron was. He does so. So far, so good. But when Elisha tells him to strike the ground with the arrows, he only does it three times, which really ticked off Elisha. Why did he only half-heartedly three times? (laughs) Why? Only three little half-hearted taps on the ground with the arrows. Why did he do that? Because he didn't really believe. He didn't really believe God. He didn't really believe he would win because he didn't really have faith in God or his word. He didn't believe it. (laughs) There's not going to be Elisha. I can't do this. I need Elisha. No, he didn't believe God's promise to him. I know with my kids when I'm doing sports with them and I'm trying to teach them to Catch the baseball. And, and, and sometimes they're, they're not really trying. They're just trying to get the glove on the ball. The little ones, one of the little ones. They get the ball, glove on the ball, but they're not really trying to catch it because they don't really believe they can. And I say, stop pretending you can catch the ball. Really do it like you're going to catch it. And sooner, all of a sudden they do catch it. And they believe. And I'm like, see, you can do it. Or, or hitting the baseball or shooting the basketball. It's, or getting, or it's, I call it pretending. Pretending. And, and, and there's a lot of people that pretend spiritually. They're, they're half-hearted spiritually trying to, to, to do something God has told them to do. Um, I know when, um, some of my boys wrestled, Joe Kappa. Joe Kappa was, was their wrestling coach starting out. And oh, he's an amazing coach. A lot of people don't know he's not just a great wrestler, but a great, great coach. And and I remember him talking to the kids about a takedown when you had to shoot in on the other guy and grab the legs and and do a move. And and the kids would shoot in not like they really meant it. They would only shoot in partially and then they'd be in a lot of trouble because now they're underneath the other wrestler. And he would say, no, you have to believe. When you shoot, you have to do it like you mean it, like you know you're going to take them down. You have to do that move like you know you're going to do it. And and you have to believe it. And finally, the kids would believe on that, that shoot in and take down. And that's what made Joe such a great coach. He and still makes him a great coach when he when they're allowed to wrestle, right? Uh, but But he made the kids believe they could do something. That's the key. That's the key. In our spiritual wrestling, that's the key. I see this in ministry all the time. And it really ticks me off. Nobody in our church presently. I'm talking about past churches. Yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody, I'm not talking about anybody in our church. I, I share God's word. I share the promise. I share the power that God has. I say, I pray for them that they would experience God's power. But so many never reach their sanctification potential. They never reach it because they don't really believe it or they don't really go after it like they believe it. They don't act in faith like we're called to do. It's vital to believe God's word. First of all, it's vital to know what it says. Then it's vital to believe that, believe what he says. And then it's vital to act on it. They're all important. Know, believe, and act like, and, and, and really do it. And, and when we do that in faith, and we, we have to fight 
and persevere in our victory. So many times we pray or, you know, it doesn't get answered or we still are struggling or we fall again and we have, we just give up, you know? And, and no, no, it's having the faith and persevere in that faith. That's the key, persevering. Very, very important. It's vital to believe God's word and to persevere in faith. I saw a great article this week, John Piper on his, his radio show, podcast, whatever he does. Uh, listen to this. It just really brings out what I'm trying to talk about. He fielded a question from a listener named Ben, and he said, Pastor John, thank you for this podcast. Beginning, he's, beginning as a 10-year-old, I became addicted to porn videos. It was my primary battle for the next seven years. That There have been some wonderful victories along the way, but I also know that these videos are unrealistic and perverse. God's design for sex must be a lot different than what I have seen. But what I have seen is the only model I know. As I look forward to marriage, I fear that what I have watched has already patterned my expectations. What advice do you have for me? Is there any hope that I will experience a loving, godly, healthy intimacy in marriage? And what can I now do to ensure that? Really good, insightful questions here. The answer, and Piper answers, the answer is that there is hope for a loving, godly, healthy, intimate marriage. Uh, I'm talking about spirit-given uh, subconscious transformation that has to happen first, though, on your, I'm just reading parts, on your instincts, what you unthinkably do and think, and conscious steps you can take together with a woman that you w- w- might fall in love with based on God's word for guarding your relationship from sin and for deepening and purifying your experience of intimacy. So yes, there is hope. This will not be automatic. Just because you are a Christian, you must pursue this transformation. He says here now, get this. One of the concerns, and this is what I've been talking about today, one of the concerns is when you said, there have been some wonderful victories along the way. That doesn't sound like the pornographic videos are behind you, but that he keeps returning to them, perhaps with less frequency, but that's not going to do. You can't set your sights low, Ben. He says, and if there is any woman listening to this who is considering marriage, you should ask a man point blank about the last time he looked at anything pornographic, and you should insist on victory, never to look at pornography, not simply infrequent exposure. Too many people today think that pornography is just inevitable. It's a given, and marriages should just cope, just adapt to it. I think that's like saying poison is inevitable, and I'm just going to get used to taking poison. Then he goes on to give the biblical keys to victory. Uh, now, I'm going to add this. Does it mean you'll never fall again? Let's say it's porn. Well, we use just pornography. It's our illustration. It could be anything. Does it mean we'll never fall again? No. We are always vulnerable. Once we open a window or a door, we're vulnerable. But there will be many falls, many battles, many uh, coming before the throne of grace for mercy and grace to find our, our, our help, grace to overcome it. But the pro- there must be progressive sanctification. And the goal must be a, a, a high goal, a high bar. It should be, our goal should be complete victory. That should be the goal. That should be in our mindset because that's the Bible's goal for our life. It can't be like, well, if I could just get down to once a week or once a month, then I'm happy. No, the goal is nothing. Nada. That's the goal. Does that mean we're going to get there immediately? No, it's progressive sanctification, but we should see progressive victory. 
progressive victory where it's not every day, it's once a week, it's once a month, it's once a year. It's a, wow, I can't remember the last time. That's the goal we should be getting there, especially as mature believers. That's where we must get to. We must get to for any struggle in our life. That And the day should be when we wake up and say, wow, I can't believe I used to struggle with X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. That, that, that is very, very important. And we can apply this to any struggle in our life. Any struggle. And whatever it takes, whether it takes accountability, uh, counseling, going down to something like Pure Life Ministries and really getting that victory, whatever it takes, we have to get our victory. Okay? And, and I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That is what some of you were, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what we were. It can't be what we are. It's what we were as believers. Does it mean we never struggle? No. We struggle. We go back to the throne of grace and mercy. But there has to be progressive sanctification with the goal of complete victory. That is the goal of any spiritual struggle that we have. Very, very important to keep that in front of us and, and do whatever we have to do. To, you know, God has given us, God has given us the he has the power to save us. He has the power to sanctify us. He has the power to revive us, to purify us in any life if we have the faith and persevere. Once again, that victories are not overnight, but there should be progressive victory year after year, more victory, and one day we see it in the rearview mirror. Can't believe I was ever there. Very, very important that that is our goal. God has the power to do this in any life. Save, sanctify, revive, Vibe, purify any life if we have the faith to persevere. Do you need proof of it? Look at a little, a couple of verses I just skipped here. In, in Second Kings, uh, I look at the Second Kings thirteen twenty and twenty one. I skipped those two verses for a reason because they're a little interjection here, little uh, little interjection. It's the last thing that Elisha ever did. And it happened after he died. <laughs> wild story. Wild, wild story. Verses 20 and 21 where it says, Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. <laughs> we got to get out of here. They threw it into his tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet <laughs> and ran away with them too. They all ran. <laughs> Is that crazy? Touches Elisha's bones and comes back to life. Crazy story. Actual, I, I saw some almost resurrections. I saw some almost revivings happen on the farm. I remember we used to dehorn calves. You could wait till a cow, the, the cow gets big and then you have to cut off the horns and the blood. It's horrible. So the best thing is when they're younger, just young, you would dehorn them. You take this hot burning tool 
I know it sounds so mean. And you put it over the, where the little nub where their horns are coming up. You put it on there and you just burn it and you burn it and you knock off the, the, the top of it and you burn it some more. And oh, they don't like this. So you, they don't like this. And I, I can understand why. It's horrible. But you have to do it. Otherwise, you got these horns, right? They're dangerous. And, and then you got to cut it off later. It's better to do it when they're young, right? Just like discipline. All right, with kids. And so the, the, um, the horns, I remember some, well, I remember one time, but several times, but I remember one time in particular, this little calf, we, we, at the, we would all like grab a hold of it and turn its neck and get it on the ground, and then we'd all sit on it, you know, we'd, we'd grab its legs and hind legs, and someone else would sit on its side, and you had to hold it down, because they went berserk, you know, when this happened, and I remember one time, my dad was doing it, and it was all smoky, all smoke, burning hair, burning horns, and ugh, I, was, I could still remember the smell, even now, uh, it burning, and the one time we were doing it, we got done, and we let go of the calf, and it just laid there, it had died, <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't breathing. We, too much smoke, too many of us on top of it. You know, it wasn't breathing. And my dad panicked. There's a, you know, a hundred dollar calf. That's a lot to a farmer back then. Be a lot to a farmer now. And, uh, you know, and, and he remember it taking it, you know, you know, trying to get it breathing. We're all hitting on the stomach and, you know, trying to get it going. And I'll never forget my dad did CPR on this calf. I remember he opened his mouth and he, he's blowing it. He's hitting its side. And all of a sudden, the thing, you know, took a little breath and took another breath and, we helped it, got up, and it was okay. We revived that calf. We saved its life. I remember that happening. I also remember cows, cows dying, you know, passing out, dying because of something, or or getting so weak they couldn't move. They couldn't move. And and once a cow gives up, it's funny. It, I guess they're a lot like people in a way. Once they give up, they give up. You know, and you have to motivate them to get back up. But they'll just they'll just die. They get their head caught in something or something. They'll just die. They, they, they give up. It's crazy. They give up the ghost. And they, I remember this, remember on the farm when the cows would give up, we had to get them up. We, when they wouldn't get up anymore or when they're starting to go get woozy, we knew, get them up. If they don't give up, there's no getting them up. You get them up now or there will be no tomorrow to get them up. And I remember we had a, a, a tool called the shocker, kind of like a taser. <laughs> <laughs> but a taser is meant to knock somebody down. The, this was a lot lighter power. It was meant to get the cow up. Yeah, we call it the, the shocker. And and we would. It had two little metal things on it, and you would press on it. You could see the the electric current, you know, sparking between it. You know, going. Zzz, you know, and and we go up to the cow and we would put it on the cow and zzz, and and it would jump up. Usually it would jump up, but if it wouldn't, then you'd have to keep doing. And I remember, oh, I remember sometimes just desperately trying to get the cow up. Nothing would get it up, and taking that taser and then finding their sensitive places because you had to find a spot that would really get to them. And usually, almost always, once we used that long enough, we could get them up and, and save them, revive them, get them moving again. That we just had to get them on their feet. Very, very important. But none of those animals was fully dead even the calf was probably just you know you know just following the light at the time uh, <laughs> to the, the the greener pastures in the sky uh it, or in the cows were still breathing usually we got them up but this guy here was dead completely dead they were burying him but when they threw him down on elisha's body and bones those bones were still juiced. He got zapped. He got back up again. It's crazy. Got back up again. And he connected with Elisha's power. Still you know, radioactive bones. Still, you know, still going. It's like one of these 
sci-fi movies, right? And it, 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 it got him going. And we, this is a picture for us, we must all connect with the power of Elisha. Elisha. Remember, who does Elisha represent? The apostles. We must connect with the apostles. Power. Did you know that in the Middle Ages, people would collect the apostles' bones? They had Peter's bones or John's bones or the tooth. You know, they, they all got split up. They had the tooth or the little finger of all these different apostles because they thought they gave them a special spiritual power. People would make pilgrimages and leave money and, and pray to the bones and thought they would get the, the spiritual power from it. If you, I once saw a statistic that you put all the bones that all the different monasteries and people claim to have the bones all over the different, you know, popes and, and bishops and archbishops, all the bones, if you put them all together, you could have, uh, you know, built a, 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 a World Trade Center <laughs> or an Empire State Building. You could have built it. That's how many bones there were. Fake. Right. But it wouldn't have mattered anyway because it didn't do anything. The bones have no power. The apostles' power, no, no, the apostles' power, we're going to be starting the book of Acts next week. We're going to see it's not the apostles. It's not the acts of the apostles. A lot of people, in the old days, the Bible said the acts of the apostles. No, no. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is their power. They're dead and gone, but the Holy Spirit is still here today. He has been passed down to us. He is available to every one of us. Don't miss next week. All right? We have resurrection power. We have resurrection power to live sanctified lives. We have that power. We have resurrection power to bring salvation to the lost. We can give life to the spiritually dead by sharing Jesus Christ. And once they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit's power. And that same resurrection power is available to every one of us. We, we, that can revive us. That can revive our churches. God wants to revive our churches. He could re- even revive the church in the USA. Whatever. Remnant revival, whatever. It appears that God has judged our nation. It appears that very clearly. But we still have arrows to shoot. We still have arrows to shoot. Just like he still let Jehoash shoot some arrows. We still have arrows to shoot. God still has a job for us to do. He still has, we are still called to be salt and light in a darkening world, in a rotting world. We have the salt and light. We have the love of Jesus Christ to share with people. We have a job to do. Even in hopeless times. Are these hopeless? Hopeless? Very, very hopeless. Even in hopeless times, we can have hope and live out that hope through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have that hope. I've been doing the Book of Revelation series online. If you haven't started that, you're missing a lot of fun. <laughs> you're missing you're missing a lot of dots to connect to the USA today. And I'm doing this series, the prophetic series online. And I've been talking about how it's clear that judgment is coming on the USA today. It's coming on the whole earth, the wrath of God, Romans 1. It's clear where we are. We're getting very close to the end of, of steps to God's wrath. But we can still live in the Holy Spirit's power. We still have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can still live in victory. We can still live in faith. We can still share that faith with others and reach people for Jesus Christ. I just did Revelation 7. Just posted that, I think, this morning. Uh, it got posted. And, and it talks about the huge harvest in the tribulation. It's amazing what's going to happen in the tribulation. Uh, more are going to be saved in the, in the tribulation than were saved all the time before, leading up to that. All the centuries leading up to that. 
It's crazy. But we can still do that, no matter what tribulation we are facing. Kim and I are just uh, watching The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom's story, The Hiding Place. If you haven't read that book and watched that movie, you better do it. First of all, it's not a powerful story, amazing story, but it also is a preparation story for us today. Don't make sure you watch that. But but w- watching Corey and her sister in in Ravensbrook in a concentration camp, crazy, because they were saving Jews from the Nazis. We may be called on to do that again soon. You see the same parallels of the Nazis happening in our own country. Many, many parallels, let me tell you. The people who are calling everybody Nazis are the very ones who are carrying out Nazi-type activities. Uh, listen to my series. But, but they were in these concentra- concentration camps and the brutal conditions. But what came through, as hard as it was, they still had hope. And they still could live out that hope. People could, the, the other inmates could see the power of the Holy Spirit in them. Could see the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They still had victory. They still had faith. And they reached many for Jesus Christ in those concentration camps. We still have the resurrection power. But we still have it. No matter what happens, we have that power of the Holy Spirit and we can live in victory and we can impact others with the love of Jesus Christ. There are still windows of grace open to us. That's what this shows. Jehoash, wicked guy, was given windows of grace. You know, he was given shot the arrow and tap three, knock three times on the ceiling if you believe me. You know, uh, he, 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 he had, he had the, the, the window of grace. God is not done with us yet. This story is for us today. He's not done. He's not done with his church yet. He's not done. There are still windows of grace. Just like Israel experienced, we can still experience temporary rallies, temporary revivals, remnant revivals to slow down the judgment of this country, uh, slow down the judgment of the world, and still reach people for Jesus Christ. There's still time to do that. If we have the faith to strike with our arrows. We have the arrows in our hands. We have to have the faith to strike with those arrows. This closing story of Elisha is for us today. This is for us today. Why did God allow Elisha to rally the Israelis? Why did he allow them to rally rally the Israelis three times even though the end was very near. Why did he allow that? Because there were still victories to be won and and people to be saved. And it was for the remnant, the remnant revival. It was for them. It was to show them, to assure them, show them that God is still in control because a short time from then, they were all going to go into captivity. Terrible captivity from the, with the Assyrians. That's who took the Israel. Uh, we know the Babylonians took Judah. And, but they're, they were going to go into captivity. But that remnant was being reassured that God is in control. And they, no matter where they were taken in captivity, no matter what happened to the country they were living in, God was still in control. And that same grace was going to be available to them wherever they went. Wherever that, whatever happened to them, whatever happened in their life, that same grace was still going to be available to them. Uh, and so even though we are in tough times, uh, even though we're in t- tough times, 
even though we it's getting tougher, God still has arrows for us. Still has arrows for us to shoot. He still has a job for us to do. Will we do it wholeheartedly in faith or wine and defeat, just like Joash? <laughs> I can't do this. Are we gonna, are we gonna, are we gonna whine in defeat or are we going to do it wholeheartedly in faith? No matter what's happening in our country, no matter what's happening in the church of America, no matter what's happening in our own church, no matter what's happening in our lives, as bad as it looks, as hard as it gets, no matter what's happening, we can live in the Holy Spirit's power and in victory. Watch the hiding place. Watch it. Today, go watch, rent it, get it, watch it, whatever it takes, get it. We can live in victory no matter what we're going through. But the key is close communion with Jesus Christ. Just as we saw in the hiding place, very close communion that they had, they were closer to God than they had ever been to God. Very devout, super born again Christians, and yet in the concentration camp, they experienced an intimacy with Christ they never experienced before, with Christ and with each other. And we can have, we can have, the key is to have that close communion with Jesus Christ now, and, and, and as we go into tribulation, we get closer and closer to Him. That's what communion is all about. That's why we're celebrating communion. This story is also a reminder with communion, also a reminder that God is always willing to give us another chance. That He wants to. He's willing and ready to give us another chance. Even Joash. You think you've messed up? <laughs> we all have, right? But he, he's, he's always willing to give us another arrow. No matter how bad we messed up. You may have really messed up this week. No matter how bad we messed up in our life. No matter how far we have fallen. Jesus is always ready to hand us another arrow of mercy and grace. To give us another chance. That's exactly what communion reminds us of. That we can still come to Him. Come to the cross. Come to Him for forgiveness. Because of his body and blood, the body he he was he sacrificed on that cross, the blood that he shed on that cross. But the first step, the first step to that mercy and grace, the very first step is communion with God. The first step to that mercy and grace is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? That is the first step. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. That's you. That's me. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much He gave His one and only Son, Jesus. That's the only one. The rest are frauds and fakes. There's only one. The rest can't help us. No matter how well-meaning they might have been, they can't help us. There's only one. He gave His one and only Son to die on a cross in our place to shed His blood, to wash us clean. That whoever believes in Him doesn't mean believe in your head. That word in Greek means to trust with your heart. It means to put, put your complete faith in Jesus. That's what the word literally means. Put your faith in Him. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can, instead of perishing and dying spiritually, spending eternity in hell, you can have life this very second and have it throughout all of eternity with God someday. You can have that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. That's the first step to communion. Have you ever done that? You can do that right now. We're going to have time of prayer in just a moment. You can do that right now. Have you done that? Communion, what it is, it, it, it's remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The, the, the bread represents the body. The, 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 the grape juice represents the blood. Uh, how, 
how we take it, when, when, when I'm done, well, you, you're at home doing this, you can, when I'm done praying, you can just take it, say the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, you take it, but what we do in church, we just, I just say that and people do it. Uh, there's two reasons why we shouldn't take it. Number one, if we're not a Christian yet, you've never put your faith in Jesus, don't take it. Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. But you can do that right now. We're going to pray in just a minute. You can do that right now and then take the Lord's Supper and commune with Him anytime. This is just a reminder that we can commune with Him anytime, connect with Him anytime. The second reason is there's a sin in our life that we have not surrendered. Like maybe this guy with a pornography. You, you say, well, I'm just going to hang on to pornography. I, you know, I'll limit it to once a week, but I'm just going to hang on to it. No, <laughs> or whatever it is. Lying, stealing, cheating, you know, gluttony, uh, gossip, whatever it is, whatever it is, any kind of sexual sin, whatever it is, if if we aren't, we if we have to be willing to surrender that, and if we're not willing, we say, God, you can't have this. You can have all this, but you can't have this one. Don't take it. Don't take the Lord's Supper, but I hope today you would surrender. Say, God, it's a brutal battle. I'm gonna have to persevere in my faith. You're gonna. It's going to have to be all mercy and grace. You're going to have to help me. Show me where to get help. Help me. If you're willing to pray that prayer, then take the Lord's Supper because we all struggle and we all need communion. We all need connection. I hope everybody takes the Lord's Supper after this sermon because we all can. It's up to you surrendering your life or surrendering your your sanctification to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us as we go to this time of prayer? I want to start with those who have never put their faith in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is calling you, pulling on your heart, convicting you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To put your faith in Jesus. You can do that right now. Wherever you are, right now. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn away from the garbage, the world. I ask you to forgive me for everything I've ever done or ever will do. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. His death, His resurrection from the dead. I'm putting my faith in His death to pay for my sin and I'm putting my faith in His resurrection to give me a new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, then the Holy Spirit has just come inside of you. Sin has been washed away. You have been become a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. You can now commune, connect with God anytime as your Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can now start to fight the spiritual battles and become the person God created you to be. And if you have prayed that prayer of faith, after this communion time, I want to encourage you to let somebody know, family member, friend, email me, let somebody know that you've taken that step of faith. 
so that we can be excited for you and encourage you. And while we're praying about that, for those who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us? Maybe there's an area of our life that we have surrendered, not to God, but we've surrendered on. We've just given up on it. But the Holy Spirit is convicting us about persevering in our faith, getting back on the horse, getting back up again, shaking off the dehorning, <laughs> getting back up again, touching the Holy Spirit's power, resurrection power, reviving us so that nothing blocks our communion, not just today, but every day. Nothing blocks our fellowship, our connection with our Father. He's waiting for us, waiting for us to come back at any time, to let go of the garbage and come to Him and have a full full life, sanctified. Father, I pray that every person listening to this would experience progressive sanctification. That because of today's word, that they would take another step forward, even if they've been crawling, even if we've been knocked down by Satan, by sin, by the world, that we would get back up, at least to the knees, and, and pray to you and move forward in our sanctification, in our victory. I pray the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, would accomplish this in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. My email is nhcc at comcast.net. If you ever need help, maybe you put your faith in Christ, you're ready to grow. Maybe maybe there's a battle in your life. You need me to connect you with someone, a group, a counselor, a, a book, something that will help you move forward. I'll do it. God bless.